not only uh, taking the gospel to Anaheim Hills and to Southern California, which is our mission, but, but also taking the gospel to places around the world that we may not ever be able to reach, that we may not ever be able to go to like uh, Shane was able to do in Uganda. So uh, that was just a, a perfect opportunity for us to share a little bit of what Shane has going on in Uganda. And it's kind of a perfect fit for uh, what we have going on that we're going to be looking at in Luke chapter 9 this morning. So uh, if you are there, I'd, I'd invite you to, to look at chapter 9 of Luke. We are going to be uh, looking at a story that uh, really is a cool little preview of what God is going to be doing in the future in these men's lives. Luke chapter 9, the, the beginning nine verses that we're going to look at, it describes for the apostles this pre-Pentecost experience where they get to, to just have a little sampling, a little taste of the miraculous power of God at work in their lives and through their lives. The greater works that would characterize their ministry after Jesus had gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit had come, uh, they were going to get just a, a small taste of that in our passage this morning that we're going to look at. This passage comes at the, the very end of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. The, the Galilean ministry, for about 18 months as Jesus was starting his ministry, he spent about a year and a half going around this area of Galilee and, and sharing the news of the kingdom of God with these Jewish people as he's interacted with that we've been looking at for the first eight chapters in Luke. And as this season has, has gone on, this is kind of coming right at the very end of the season. See, after this passage, Jesus and the disciples, they, they start to turn their attention towards Judea, another area of uh, that part of the world. And so they're effectively completing Galilee's season of grace, a season of, of opportunity to hear from Jesus and to hear about the kingdom of God. And so uh, as uh, Jesus is getting ready to move on. He sends out the disciples. He empowers the disciples and sends them out to take one final effort of the kingdom of God is here. The, the news of the gospel to uh, these people. So what we're going to see here is, is that story where Jesus sends out the disciples and, and he's going to send them out with some specific distinctives that uh, were specific for them. But there are also some principles that are going to be relevant for us today. So we're going to look at some of those universal principles as well. So uh, if you have your way, uh, you found your way there to Mark chapter, uh, not Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. I'd invite you to follow along with me. It says he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, "Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag nor bread nor money. Do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. As for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening. He was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. So Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? So he kept trying to see him. Would you guys pray with me this morning, church? 
God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, God, that you are still in the business of, of sending people out, of taking that good news out, the, the news of Jesus, the news of salvation, the news of the kingdom of God coming. God, we are still in the business of taking that message out to the world, just like we see the disciples do here this week in our passage. God, we pray that as we study this, God, as we uh, look at your word, God, that your word God, that you are able to speak through it, that it is alive, that it is it work in our hearts. So God, as we study this, God, we pray that you would, God, that you would help us to hear from you. God, that you would help us to, um, God, to, to, to have ears to hear as you open your word to us this morning. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was studying this week, I, I started thinking about these disciples as they had this opportunity to go out and to take the message of the gospel out, and it got my wheels turning about uh, opportunities that I've had to uh, experience freedom and, and, and power and uh, these, these things that are really exciting to us when we get to experience them for the first time, right? So I, I want to hear back from you guys. Does anybody remember that first time that you had been studying and you finally got your driver's license and you had that opportunity to, to take the keys, to take, maybe it's the family car, maybe you had your own car, but you get to go out and for the first time there's nobody in the passenger seat with you. There's nobody, it's just you in control of wherever it is that you want to go. Does anybody remember that moment? It's, a, it's, a, it, it's an exciting time, right? I remember, uh, for me, it was, it was a surreal time, but it was an exciting time because I finally felt like, man, I'm, I'm becoming a man. Like, I'm, you know, I'm still 16, so, eh. But I've got this power, this newfound freedom of, of being able to go and do what I wanted to do and the power to be able to go and do it. I think as we look at this moment with the disciples, maybe you remember back in, in Luke chapter 5 as Jesus is calling some of these men that are going to be disciples. He's saying, come and follow me. And in Luke chapter 5 verse 10, uh, Jesus looks at Simon Peter, one of the disciples, and he says, do not fear. From now on, you're going to catch men. Uh, that's, that's the way Luke says it. Some other gospels say, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He, he's promising that Peter's going to get to do some incredible things, that Peter's going to be able to, to make an impact, to call people into the kingdom of God. And so now for the first 18 months that we've been looking at, we've, we've worked our way through the stories in Luke, and, and really the disciples haven't done a whole lot of that yet, have they? Mostly it's been them following along and, and asking Jesus questions and, and learning things, but Jesus has been the one out teaching and doing the ministry and doing the miracles and, and, and at work in the lives of people. So, so for Peter, as Jesus is sending them out, I, I imagine he probably had one of those getting the keys to the car for the first time moments. This is it. Guys, guys, we've been waiting for this moment for years. This is it. We finally have the opportunity to go and to do what God said he was going to call us to do. In these verses, it says that Jesus called them and he also gave them the power and authority to go and to do this. So as they were taking this message out, it wasn't something that Jesus just said, hey guys, I got some work for you to do. Go figure it out. When he sends them out, he sends them out with the power and authority that, that he had been using, that he had done these mighty works, these miracles in the power of. See, this was Jesus's power that was in the apostles as they were going out. They possessed the power of the one who had been 
as we've seen in the past few weeks and the past few months, we've seen Jesus show that he has power over nature, right? He told the storm, stop it, and the storm stopped. He has power over sickness. We've seen him heal time and time and time again in the Gospel of Luke. We, we know that Jesus had power over even death as he's raised two children from the dead so far as we've been working our way through these stories. So, so Jesus has given the disciples this power. Go out and take the news of the kingdom of God to the surrounding villages. And, and then before they go, before Jesus finally says, all right, go get them, uh, he gives them some final instructions. The disciples, as Jesus gives them these instructions, what Jesus is really communicating, and we're going to get into these in just a second, but Jesus is communicating to them that, that they must show that their desire is to serve others, that they're not going out to make a name for themselves. They're not going out to make a profit like some other religious people may have in that day. What they're being called to, what Jesus is instructing them to do is to go and to point to God in a humble attitude in a selfless attitude, in a generous spirit, there to go out and to take this good news of uh, the kingdom of God to the surrounding villages. So let's go back and look at just a couple of these different things that Jesus gives to them. We look at Jesus' instructions in these verses. If we look at verse 2, we see the first instruction that Jesus gives to these disciples. He tells them in verse 2 what the message should be. It says in verse 2, He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. That would be kind of cool, right? It says that Jesus gave them the power to go out and to perform healings, to perform these miracles that Jesus, they had seen Jesus do time and time and time again. But their real work that they were being sent out to do was not just to heal the sick. It wasn't just to uh, perform mighty acts, to perform miracles, to, to show how powerful they were. That was just an incidental uh, side note to what their mission was, what their message was supposed to be. See, their greatest work that they were given here is Go out and preach the message of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God that, 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 that the Jewish people that they were going out and taking this message to had been waiting for for years and years and years. Their greatest work was to proclaim hope has come. In the midst of all of the darkness that people were experiencing, in the midst of all of the, the difficulty that they had to face, hope had dawned. Hope had come. The Jewish people had been waiting for God to send his Messiah, to send his Savior for years and years and years. It was the prophecies that they had looked forward to for years as they had come under foreign rule. As they were now being occupied by the Roman Empire and, and waiting, God, when are you going to finally set us free? These disciples were given the responsibility to go out and to say, the kingdom is finally coming. They were sent out, and they were sent out with a message that, that we've seen. This is familiar to us as we worked our way through Luke. He, he sends them out with a message of repentance, as Mark uh, chapter 6 tells us about in a, a parallel story. Him, Mark's telling of this story. He says that he sent them out, that they were calling for people to repent, that they were calling for people to turn from their sin and, and, and return to God. But that wasn't the, the primary message, right? Because the, the, the message that Luke tells us that they were sent out with, he says that they were sent out with the gospel, right? The gospel, that, that word gospel is one that's familiar to us, but, but you know, it means good news, right? Good news that hope has come. 
God is at work among us, and, and the kingdom of God has come, and it can be yours if you accept it. That's the good news. That's the message that the disciples were taking out into these surrounding areas. So we have their message that they're going out and, and taking out. Now we have, what did Jesus tell them to take with them? What was their luggage that they were supposed to take along for the trip? Verse 3 tells us that Jesus said to them, take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take bread. Don't take money. Don't even take two shirts. Don't take two tunics with you. He's telling them to travel light. Well, that seems strange. We know that on a a subsequent mission later on in in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 22, Jesus commanded them to take a purse. So we know that this wasn't just uh, God telling us, anybody who does my work should never have anything ever. Don't worry, we're not going to expect you to leave your purses and wallets here this morning when you leave. But what we see here in these verses is uh, instructions in Luke 9 as Jesus is sending these disciples out. He's telling them that that as he wants them to go out, as he wants them to take this message of the gospel out, he wants them to avoid looking like the other false missionaries that were famous in that area during that time. See, there are lots of religions then, just like there are lots of, uh, of different religious beliefs now. And, and some of these other missionaries, some of these other religious groups would go around and they would send people out from town to town. And as they would go around, they would, they would teach or they would uh, perform uh, signs and, and things. And they would, they would do their teaching and then they would stand with their hand out and say, all right, if you've been blessed, we expect you to, to make it worth my time now. What Jesus is doing is he's sending these these disciples out is, he's telling them, you're not going out for personal profit. You're not going out to see how much money you can make for yourself. You're not going out to to make a name for yourself. You're going out because God wants this message to go out into the world. He also wanted uh, these 12 men to learn a principle that we're going to see repeated in Luke chapter 12, that, that these men could trust God for whatever needs may arise in their life. Luke 12, uh, we're going to look at in a, a couple of months, actually. But, but that passage talks about how uh, God provides for all the other things in the world. God, God takes care of all of the other problems that may arise, and, and God is going to take care of you as well. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. God will take care of you tomorrow. And so uh, Jesus really practically wants these 12 men that are being sent out to, to learn to trust God for everything. Faith in God, faith in the work that God was going to do was really the foundation for this ministry that they were being sent out on. Jesus also talks about their lodging in verse 4. In verse 4, he tells them that, that, simply put, they're not supposed to hotel hop. They're not supposed to look for better accommodations as they uh, go from town to town. When they come into a, a town and they have an opportunity to, to stay somewhere, someone is generous enough to allow them to stay as they are in that town preaching the gospel. They're not, they're not supposed to look longingly at the house across the street that made them an offer a few days later that maybe that one's got a pool. Maybe that one's got a, a second bedroom or a, a, a private bathroom for them to No, 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 guys. You're to be content. Jesus is telling them uh, to be content. As I was studying this, Kent Hughes had an interesting quote that I thought uh, kind of applied for us today, especially uh, where we're at in 2020. Uh, He said, comfort seekers have never done anything for Christ and his kingdom. 
So he's talking about this, this command of Jesus not to just go looking for more comfortable accommodations. What he's saying there is, is, is if we are just in our relationship with God to be comfortable, well, we're in the wrong relationship. We're in the wrong business if, if our goal is to just be comfortable, right? A committed life, sometimes an uncomfortable life. Do you guys remember a couple of chapters ago as we were going through Luke, Luke uh, was uh, portraying uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We went through uh, that, that portion where Jesus was talking about two paths, right? You guys remember that? If, if you were following along with us, two paths that Jesus talked about. He said this is the, the path that, that lots of religious people follow, and then this is the path that, that committed people, that people that are that are fully committed to what God asks from them, to what I ask from you. This is, this is what that fully committed path looks like. And he talked about that fully committed path and talked about how it was going to be difficult sometimes. He called uh, disciples to difficult things like loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. We've seen time and time and time again throughout Scripture, uh, following God is not comfortable all the time. It's not easy all the time. If you look at the Old Testament, we see stories of Abraham who just wanted a son desperately. God didn't provide it for him for a hundred years. We see stories of Abraham's grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You remember Joseph, right? Joseph, the, the one with all the brothers who was thrown in a well, who was sold into slavery by his siblings because they didn't want him in the family anymore was wrongfully accused and thrown into jail for, for just doing what was right. It wasn't easy for Joseph. It wasn't easy for Abraham. Let's, let's think about the New Testament. What about these 12 disciples that are being sent out? These 12 disciples would, would live a life of, of purpose. They would live a life of meaning, but they didn't live a life of, of easy, right? Because out of these 12 disciples, how many of them made it to comfortable old age? There wasn't one of them. One of them, you remember Judas, committed suicide. We remember uh, one of them made it to old age. John uh, made it to old age, but he was exiled on the island of Patmos, so I wouldn't call that comfortable old age. And then the other ten were martyred. They were killed for their faith. Doesn't sound like easy or comfortable to me. A committed life is a meaningful life. A committed life to what God calls us to is absolutely worth it. But it's far from comfortable. Finally, Jesus also in, in verse 5 talks about as these disciples are going out, he, he tells them how they should respond to the reception that they might receive. He tells them that if they receive a, a hostile uh, reception when they come into a town. Jesus ordered the disciples to shake the dust off of their feet when they leave the town as a testimony against that town. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us, right? We don't shake the dust off of ourselves when we uh, come back from somewhere. Well, maybe we do this year because when you go to the grocery store, you've got germs and cooties on you and stuff. You leave those in the garage. But, but normally, that's, this isn't a customary thing that means a whole lot to us, right? We hear this story, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Shake the dust off of your clothes. Shake the dust off of your shoes when you leave that town. Well, it was customary for religious Jews, for, for pious Jews in this season of history, when they had traveled abroad, when they had traveled to other parts of the world, 
to Gentile lands, to, to foreign lands that maybe had foreign gods, that maybe had other beliefs, maybe they had other practices that were customary there as they went outside of the Jewish territory. When they would leave those areas, they would carefully shake the dust off of their clothes, would carefully brush the dust off of their shoes as, as they were coming back to Jewish territory. And the reason that they did this it, is that it disassociated them from the pagan practices that were perhaps happening in those areas. It, it was a way for them to shake off the pollution of those foreigners because they believed that, that God had told them how to live and, and that they wanted to be obedient to what God called them to, not to what they found in, in other foreign places. So when Jesus tells them, these disciples, here in our passage, if a town rejects you, if a town rejects the message of the kingdom of God, you should shake the dust off of your clothes. What he's telling them to do is, is to point out symbolically to these Jewish people that have rejected the teaching of the disciples, that, that have rejected the teaching about the kingdom of God, what he's telling them to do is, is to shake the dust off. By doing that, he's saying symbolically, you guys are no different than the foreigners. You people are, are, are no better than, than the other people with other religious beliefs in foreign lands. What the, the disciples are doing is symbolically declaring a, a Jewish village to be no better than a pagan village. It was a merciful act. As Jesus told them to do this, what he's doing is, is he's telling them, stand up for the truth. And if, if people don't receive the truth, if people don't accept the truth, do this as a way of showing them the seriousness of their spiritual condition. You're not a brother. You're not a sister. If you reject the teaching of the kingdom of God, if you reject Jesus, you are not my brother or sister anymore. Today there are times where the, the church has to uh, metaphorically shake the dust off of our shoes as we declare to some people in our world, perhaps some people in our lives, in our families, or in our neighborhoods, or in our circle of influence, that we have to shake the dust off as we are called, just like these disciples were, to go and to take the message of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that more in just a second, but, but there are times where we have to disassociate ourselves from a sinful society as well, right? Or we have to disassociate ourselves from the corruption that exists all over the place in our world today. And by doing that, we help people see the danger of that chosen path that they're on. So Jesus calls these disciples, if they don't receive your message, if they don't receive the teaching about who I am and the kingdom of God, shake the dust off of your feet. Now we see a curious audience. As we look at verses 7, 8, and 9, we see this question pop up that, that we've seen several other times in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to read for these verses, read these verses for you guys again and see if you guys catch it as we read through these verses. This very simple, very basic question that we see over and over and over again show up in the Gospel of Luke. Start in verse 7. It says, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening. He was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. So Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? 
and he kept trying to see him. This question shows up now in, in Herod's mind that, that we heard the disciples ask a few weeks ago, that we've heard others ask as, as Jesus has performed miracles and done mighty things throughout the Gospel of Luke. Herod's asking, who is Jesus? Who is this man? What, there's something different about him. Who is this man? This time it shows up in Herod's court, and, and what's interesting to Herod is not the true question of who is Jesus. He's not looking for the, the true answers of that he's God, that he is the, the chosen one, that he is the one who has come to save us. What he's looking for is, how is this man doing all these miracles? Where are these, where are these things coming from? And, and, and we know that because in Luke 23, Herod finally has an opportunity to meet Jesus, and he says as much, that he just wanted to see the show. But, but if we look at the Gospel of Luke, who is Jesus? It shows up time after time after time. We see it in Luke 5. We see it twice in Luke 7. We see it in Luke 8. 9, 20, 22, and 23. If Luke asks that same question and tells us story after story after story where the same question comes up of who is Jesus, I think Luke is trying to, to drive home a point, right? He's trying to, to make us ask that same question. Who is Jesus? What is special about this man? Herod, and in effect, the entire population of Galilee at this point, as Jesus has been going around and ministering, has started to ask this same big question, who is Jesus? Some people thought that Jesus was a resurrected John the Baptist, and Herod says, no, 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 that can't be right. I killed John the Baptist. I know it's not, he's not John. Other people suggested, well, maybe he's Elijah. Well, maybe he's one of the other prophets of old like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or one of those other prophets that spoke on God's behalf hundreds of years ago that, that God has, has brought back. These same possibilities, these same names show up in just a few verses that we're going to look at in a week or two in Luke 9.19. And there, the answer is finally given. So I don't want to spoil it for you. If you need a spoiler alert, stick your fingers in your ears. But but Jesus looks at Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter finally is the first one that really answers this question for us. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Who is Jesus is a question that, that all of us, that everyone in Anaheim Hills, that everyone in the world has to answer for themselves. At some point, we have to answer, who is Jesus? Herod is asking that question now. But we all have to answer it at some point. Finally, let's look at the indwelt missionaries because what we've seen in Luke chapter 9 so far is Jesus empowering his disciples for a season to go out, to, to go on this short little missions trip, to go out into the surrounding villages and take the message of the kingdom of God to these surrounding towns. But but that same question that Herod was asking just a few moments ago that, that other people in Luke have asked and we'll continue to ask as we go through. That question is still being asked today. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What's, what's special about Jesus? Why are a bunch of people sitting in a building this morning on a beautiful Sunday morning? Why are we choosing to sit in here? What's special about Jesus that makes you come and sit in church this morning? Well, today's answers may look a little bit different than, than Herod's speculations did uh, thousands of years ago. Some people today might suggest, well, well, is Jesus just a fairy tale? Is Jesus just a, a good teacher? 
Is Jesus, as, as one famous politician said about a year, year and a half ago in an interview, she said, we all worship the same God. Is Jesus just the same as, as all the other gods out there? Is Jesus just the same as all the other religions that are out there available to you if you go to a temple or a mosque or, or some other religious house of worship this morning? Is it just the same, or, or is there something different and special about Jesus? As Jesus sent the 12 disciples out with, with this temporary power that he gave them in Luke chapter 9, he gave them a taste of what was ultimately to come. If we fast forward in the story, if we skip some of those pages in the middle and, and fast forward to Luke 24, or if we turn over to Matthew 28 as, as Matthew is telling the story, if we turn to Acts chapter 1 and 2 as Luke continues the story in the, the, the book of Acts, we see that, that we... That me and you today have the same purpose that the disciples had. But we have a greater power than they had available to them in Luke chapter 9, right? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus gave them an opportunity, a temporary power to be able to go and to do his work in the world. But Jesus has given us, God has sent to us, when Jesus said in the end of the Gospels and in the beginning of Acts, as he's getting ready to return to heaven, he said, I will send a helper for you. Luke 24, verses 48 and 49, he's Jesus talking to the apostles right before he leaves. He says, you are witnesses of all these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's promising that power is going to come from heaven and, and going to work in these men as they are sent out to take that message out as Jesus leaves. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is continuing this same idea. He is telling these disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus is telling the disciples, go and take the message of, of everything that has happened, of, of the kingdom of God, of salvation, of, of me, Jesus is saying. He's saying, take the message of, of Jesus to the world. Take it to your town. Take it to your state. Take it to your nation. Take it to the ends of the earth. People need to hear this message. But Jesus doesn't just tell them, hey guys, here's a big job for you. Good luck. He says, no, not only do you have a big task, you have big power that's going to come and dwell inside of you to be able to do it, to be able to accomplish that. We continue, if, if we continue reading after Acts 1-8, we, we come to Acts 2, right? 1 and then 2. So in Acts 2, we see that incredible pouring out of God's power. We see these apostles gathered together and, and, and nervously awaiting What's going to happen? When's this power going to show up? And, and God moves in an incredible way in Acts chapter 2. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Because God sends his Holy Spirit to come and to dwell inside of those that have placed their faith in him. Inside of those that have, have received God's offer of salvation, who have a relationship with him. It tells us that God's Holy Spirit lives and resides personally in each and every one of us. Well, that sounds a lot more significant than what Jesus had given these disciples in Luke 9, right? We don't just have a, a little, like, here you go, here's a little bit of power, go use it, and then come back and all. Uh, God has put his spirit within us. God lives inside of us. We have been empowered to go and to do that work. But if we look at, at Acts 2, 
where there are thousands of people that receive that message of salvation, where, uh, where thousands of people hear Peter's message and come to faith that day. Incredible moment in the church. You know, there's something in, that's special. There's something important about that message. There's something important about what Peter is doing in Acts chapter 2 because uh, Peter's not talking about, look at these miracles that we can do. Peter's not talking about, look at all these other things that, that you should care about. What, what Peter points to in the entirety of his sermon is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 is all about Jesus. Many Christians today, many Christian messages today, many uh, people come into churches on a Sunday morning just like this, and, and the message in, in their heart is not Jesus, it's, it's me. There are churches all across our country today that, that are, are, are preaching the message of God can make you happy. God can make you comfortable. God wants to make you rich, and God wants to make you healthy, and so if you want to live your best life today, you need to just pray this prayer or just give this certain amount of dollars or, or just fill in the blank, right? There are a lot of churches that are preaching me, 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 me. How can God make me happy? How can God make me successful? How can God fix my marriage? How can God fix my kids? All of those things, all of those questions have the same root, right? Me. God's able to do all those things. Side note, God's able to do all those things, but that's not the focus. That's not the focus that we see in Acts 2. That's not the focus we see in Luke 9. That's not the focus that we see in the rest of the Bible. The benefits that we experience is is a side note, is an advantage, is wonderful. Thank you, God, for all of the ways that you work in our life and give us the abundant life like Jesus talks about in John 15. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. God, God blesses us, but we don't just come to him because he blesses us. Our preaching fails if we don't bring people to that crucial question that Herod is asking in Luke 9 this morning. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? What's special about him. Our preaching shouldn't just be man-centered. It shouldn't be me-centered. Ultimately, if we are going to be faithful to the rest of the teaching of the Bible, we have to be, be focused on God, not on us. In respect to this, it's important for us to understand that all of Scripture points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament points to Jesus. Jesus even makes this clear. In, in Luke 24, uh, it says that Jesus appeared after he was resurrected. He peer, appeared incognito. The, the two men that he was walking with didn't realize that it was Jesus. But he shows up with these two men walking on the road. And, and it says in Luke 24, 27, that beginning with Moses and all, the, all of the prophets, Jesus explained to them, the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Jesus explains to these two disciples, everything pointed to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul tells the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's Paul, the, the one that wrote like half of our books in the New Testament. For Paul, it was important. Yeah, 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 there's lots of other good stuff, but but it all hinges on who is Jesus. So we get to the end. 
We get to the end of our passage. We get to the end of, uh, of this whole idea. So I ask you the question, who are you in this story? There's two people that we kind of, there, there's two groups that we see identified here in our passage in Luke chapter 9 this morning. We see Herod asking this question, who is Jesus? There are people speculating, well, who is Jesus? Well, maybe he's, the, well, maybe he's, Herod asking the question that's important for all of us to answer here this morning. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus a good teacher? Is Jesus just some advisor that we get to tuck away on our bookshelf with all of the other voices that we let speak in our lives? Or is he someone different? Is he the Son of God like he claimed that he was? Is he the one who lived a perfect life like the Bible says? Who, who went to a cross and died a death that he didn't deserve like the Bible says he did? That was resurrected bodily from the dead? That... that that they put in a tomb and the tomb couldn't hold him because he is God at work. He has power over death. He proved by, by coming back to life that he has power over sin, that, that we have nothing to fear after death because, because if we place our faith in him, that we get to have the same life that Jesus proved that he had when he came back from the dead. Is Jesus God? If he is, I'd invite you to to declare that this morning and to, to respond in that way. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, don't leave here this morning without doing that. I'm going to be outside in a moment. Uh, our prayer team is going to be outside in a moment. Come find one of us and answer that question for yourself. Who is Jesus? Maybe you've already answered that question. Maybe you're not Herod in our story this morning. Maybe you are the disciples. So if you're not Herod, if you've already answered that question of who is Jesus... Well, maybe you need to, to follow in the path that we see the disciples follow in this morning. See, Jesus empowered the disciples to go out and to do His work, to go out and to preach the kingdom of God. But you know what? We looked at those other verses in Acts 1 and Acts 2 that, that says that, that God empowered us to go and do the same thing, that we have an even greater source of power at work in, in us. Jesus has empowered you Jesus has empowered me that God has put his Holy Spirit inside of us and said that we are able to do we are able to do the same work that these men were able to do. It may not look the same. We may not be out performing miracles and raising the dead like, like the disciples did, but, but God has given us the same ability to take that message of the kingdom of God, to take that message of salvation to the people surrounding us. The towns and, and villages, metaphorically, the, the people that, that live around us, well, we can take that same message, right? When you go home to see your extended family, are there people that need to hear that message? When you go home to your, to your house this afternoon, are there people across the street that need to hear that message? When you go to work, whenever that happens again, right? Are there people at the desk next to you that need to hear that message? How can you proclaim the kingdom of God this week? If you're Herod, the question is, who is Jesus? If you're one of the disciples, the question is, how can you proclaim the kingdom of God this week? 
We're going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to invite you guys to pray with me. And after our service finishes up, I want you guys to know where things are at because this is the first week of inside and things are a little bit different. So if you need information, Our info table is not set up in the hallway back here. We have a white tent. Actually, no, it's a gray tent outside, uh, right out the doors. If you have questions or you are new and want to find more information about the church, stop at our gray tent outside. When we finish, if you need prayer, our prayer team is going to be outside gathered. When you go out the doors, if you look to the right, they're under the white tent. And then if you are looking for me, I'm not going to be hanging out inside either. I'm going to hang out out there in the parking lot. It's safer in the open air. So I'm going to be on your left under the blue tent. So if you need to talk to someone, come find us. Let's answer those questions for ourselves this morning. Who is Jesus or how can we proclaim the kingdom of God to those around us? Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for... (laughs) God, you are so good to us. You are so good. God, you gave us work to do, but God, you didn't just give us work to do and and wish us good luck. God, you you told us that, that when you gave us that work to do, God, you were also going to give us your spirit. Jesus empowered the disciples to go out and to preach the gospel, and God, you have empowered us to go out and to preach the gospel. God, we pray that we would do that. God, we pray that as we gathered here this morning, if there are people that, that receive that gospel for the first time, God, I pray that you would embolden them to come and to find me or to come and to, to talk with our prayer team to, to learn more about what that looks like. And God, for the rest of us that have already answered that question of who are you, God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to ask someone else this morning. God, help us to be people that, that will just... In the power of your Holy Spirit, we'll ask people, who do you think Jesus is? What do you think about Jesus? It's a wonderful question for us to ask, but God, it is an essential question for us to ask. God, do your work in us. God, do your work through us. We need you. Thank you for salvation, God. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we come and his name that we pray. Amen.